Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. Do you, um, do you remember back as a kid playing games and stuff on the playground? And uh, do you remember how we would pick teams? There would be, uh, there would be two, two people, uh, usually self-prescribed uh, as captains, and everybody else would stand in a line. You remember this? And you'd pick teams. Is there a more demeaning way of doing anything, right? Like, y'all stand over there, and I'm about to judge you, right? And, and so that's what happens. You stand in a line, and the tallest, the fastest, the most coordinated kids get picked first, and it gets whittled down to the slowest and the shortest, uh, least coordinated kids left in the line, right? That's, that's how we would pick teams. And it was a nerve-wracking thing, right, to stand there in that line and to, to have to experience this picking thing, um, Last summer, I decided one day I was gonna go play some basketball at the McGee Center. And um, I was just gonna go to shoot a little bit. And I found myself uh, somehow standing in a line of guys getting picked for teams. And I immediately felt uh, like that kid, just nervous on the playground of what was you know, about to take place. Now, all of these guys that were playing basketball, um, they're all college age and look like they play basketball every single day. And you know what, some of us are adults and have to work, and so we can't do that every day, right? But these kids, they were playing every single day, and, um, and so they start, start picking teams, and uh, I get picked last, dead last, which, you know, feels awesome, right? And so I'm picked dead last, and um, you know what, I'm 34 years old. I'll admit, I'm not in the best shape of my life. Um, But these guys were acting like I was 84 years old. And the guy who picked me or got stuck with me on his team, I don't know, he he said, he came up to me and he goes, hey man, listen, um, just just stay outside uh, the three point. Like, don't worry about going in and getting rebounds. Don't worry about, don't don't do all that stuff. Like basically, I don't wanna see the old man get hurt, right? That's that's essentially what he was saying. And um, I didn't like that, right? I didn't feel good. Um, I told you before that I, I grew up playing sports and I'm still pretty competitive. And uh, I don't wanna brag, but your boy can still shoot a basketball, right? And so we start playing and um, I just dominate these punks, like I do. Again, not trying to brag, but I'm hitting threes, I'm blocking shots, I'm getting rebounds the whole thing, and they're looking pretty shocked, which does feel good, right? And so I am the MVP of this game. I'm, I think I have every point of our team. We win the game, and, uh, and then I retire. I play one game, I retire, because I'm, I'm old and I'm tired, right? And so I, I, I set it out. Toby Key said, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was, right? And I felt that in that moment, right? But they judged me. They, they didn't, I don't know, they didn't want me on their team. See, everybody, the, the thing we're gonna talk about this morning, everybody wants to feel wanted. Nobody wants to be picked last. That feels terrible, right? Nobody wants to be picked last, um, which, you know, by default is really not being picked at all. That's a terrible, terrible feeling. But when you are picked, 
that feels good, right? You feel valued, you feel worth, you feel seen, you feel all of those things. Whenever a friend calls and asks you to go to a movie, right, or, or whenever you're picked for the job, or whenever the girl says yes to marry you, like those things feel good. You feel valued, you feel seen, you feel loved. Well, today I'm gonna show you something even better than those things. God himself chooses you and he calls you by name, right? So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter two. 2 Thessalonians chapter two. So we're, we're picking up where we left off last week. If you were with us last week, we talked about how in the beginning of 2 Thessalonians chapter two, Paul says to them, he says, I don't want you to be troubled and I don't want you to, to worry, right? And he says, I don't want you to be deceived by anyone or anything. And if you remember, there was a group of people who had written, a, I guess, a false letter or something like that to the Thessalonian church claiming that Jesus has already come back and, and they are worried about it. And Paul says, I don't want you to be deceived about those things. And so they are discouraged, they're worried, they're deceived, they're all of these things. And so in the context of that, like Paul goes on in this passage this morning to reassure them, to encourage them based on their position before God and what God is doing in their life, okay? So we're gonna read 2 Thessalonians 2, but before we do, let's, let's pray. I'll pray for all of us, and you pray for yourself that God would speak to you this morning. God, we thank you um, just for the time that we share together this morning. I pray, God, as we open up your word, uh, that you would speak to us, that we would be encouraged and, and reassured just as uh, Paul was intending to do with the Thessalonian church. I pray that we feel that as well. God, we're listening and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 13 with me. He says, but we ought to think God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Verse 14, he called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught whether by what we said or by what we wrote. Verse 16, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. So he, he uses a few words here. I want us just to focus in on, on two of those, and that's chosen and called. We're gonna really look at that this morning. What does that mean for us? What does Paul mean by it? And what does it mean for our lives? So first, he has chosen you, right? He has chosen you. Some, sometimes we get a little bit uh, nervous about that word in scripture, some of us, but he has, he has chosen you. What does it mean to be chosen? Is it like picking what you're gonna wear in the morning? Is it, is it like choosing a favorite sports team? Is it choosing a house? Is it choosing who you're gonna marry? Like what level are we talking about? Those are all different choices, but they're all different levels of choice, right? And so what does it mean that God chooses us? Well, I want us to look at this from a big picture this morning. And what we see is throughout the Bible, God chooses people. 
throughout scripture. And understanding this idea of God choosing people is actually pretty important to the understanding the grand narrative or the, or the grand storyline of the Bible. So first let's look at it from a corporate sense, like a big picture group type of a thing. If you start in the, bi- in the beginning pages of the Bible, you see that God created everything and it was very good, right? He created everything, but it wasn't long before humans screwed it up and we rebelled and we sinned against God and it broke that relationship. It created a, a, a divide between the creator and his creation. That sin marred, it tarnished the relationship there. And, and in Genesis 3.15, we see that God already has a plan to restore and redeem creation back to himself. He talks about one that is gonna come that would crush the head of Satan. And he's talking of Jesus all the way back in Genesis 3.15, all right? So that's where we first see the gospel uh, described. In Genesis chapter 12, we see that God already has a plan to restore a group of people back to himself. In Genesis chapter 12, it's something called the Abrahamic covenant. And it, and it says this, Genesis 12, uh, verse two, says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God in Genesis 12, he chooses Abram who will become Abraham and he promises that through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In Genesis 15, he talks about um, how, how Abraham's descendants would be more numerous than the stars. Like we're talking a lot of people. In Genesis 13, he says that it's gonna be more numerous than the sand on earth or the dust of the earth. And so by making this covenant, this promise with Abraham, God essentially embraces or he chooses all of Abraham's descendants that would come after him, right? And so Abraham becomes the father of the Israelites here in Genesis chapter 12. And then throughout the Old Testament, we're reminded that God chose his people simply because he chose them. Like if you read the Old Testament, you're not gonna go, wow, that's a great group of people. God should love those people. You're not gonna, you're not gonna read that at all. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse seven says this, that the Lord had his heart set on you and he chose you. Not because you are more numerous than all peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He, just, he says, God, God chose you because he chose you. Like you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. He just chose you. So, so that's a, a picture of the Old Testament, God choosing a group in the New Testament, the teaching on God's choosing of a people matches the Old Testament, but there's kind of a crucial shift that takes place. It's no longer God choosing an ethnic group or a, or a national uh, group, but God's people then encompasses all who have faith or what we would call the church. So in the Old Testament, God is choosing Israel. In the New Testament, God is choosing his people as the church. For example, Peter speaks of the church in the same way the Old Testament speaks of Israel, 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you, that's a plural you there, we would understand it in our Kansan as y'all, right? But y'all, or church, are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people and had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, our passage this morning is also speaking of the church. Second Thessalonians chapter two, it could, it could better be read God's chosen y'all. Like God has called y'all. <laughs> so we need to understand that God's chosen people today is his church, okay? God's chosen people today is his church. So that's corporate sense. God does choose, he chooses a group of people. But then there's also an individual sense to all this. In the Old Testament, God has chosen a people, but that doesn't equate to every Israelite's salvation. Again, read the Old Testament. The, the, the people were all over the place. Even in the Old Testament, we see that there had to be a heart commitment to God, that yes, God has chosen them, but we see a need for them to choose him back. And over and over again, we see God's chosen people choosing something or someone over God. Hosea eleven seven. I think it's the thesis verse of the Old Testament. God says, my people, the ones I've chosen, are just bent on turning from me. They're just naturally bent on turning away from me. That's the Old Testament. God loves them, he pursues them, and they turn their back on him. They forget him, they, they chase other things. And so while that is the picture of a lot of the Israelite history and things like that, there are people in the Old Testament that we see faithfulness and love and a commitment and choosing God back. I mean, David's called a man after God's own heart. Uh, guys like Abraham and Moses and David and, and, and tons of others in the Old Testament, we see choose God back and they're faithful. They're not perfect, but they choose God back and they walk in his footsteps and follow his ways. Well, same thing in the New Testament, that, that individuals are saved by God's grace through, through faith. Ephesians chapter two. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. That sounds a lot like Deuteronomy chapter seven, that God chose you because he chose you. <laughs> like, like you didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. And that's the gospel message that we are a people, we are dead in our sin, Ephesians 2 just said. We are dead. Dead people are helpless, right? We're dead in our sin, but God knew that that relationship was broken and he a long time ago made a promise to, to restore a group of people back to himself. And so he made a way through Jesus for a relationship to be restored. And Jesus came and he died a death that you and I deserve to die. He went to a cross, he died. He went into a grave because he was dead, but then he came bursting out of that grave alive, proving that he's God, proving that he has power over sin and death forever. And if you and I place our faith or our trust in him, Bible says we will be saved, right? And so that is, that is the gospel message that we are dead in our sin, but God in, in his goodness and love brings us to life. 
And so think of the Thessalonians story. Whenever Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation. Like from the beginning, God picked you. He chose you for salvation. But in Acts 17, 4, we see that they choose him back. Like that's their origin story. Whenever we see their, their beginning steps in Acts 17, 4, it says, God, uh, Paul shared the gospel with him. It says, some of them were persuaded. Like some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. And so in this passage, like we see, yes, God chose them from the beginning of the time, but also like they chose him back. They were persuaded, they, they chose him. So God has chosen them, but there's a real need for them to choose him back, right? And so like I said earlier, like this word chosen is kind of a hot button word and we get kind of nervous about it and there's a big debate on how this happens like are people believers because they are chosen or are they chosen because they believe like which came which came first essentially and we're not going to solve that debate this morning right we're not we're not trying to but what I do want us to focus on is what this good news does for us however it all works However it it works, the fact that God has chosen us as believers should lead us to praise him, should lead us to worship him. Because if you start to pull on that thread even just a little bit, well, then you begin to understand that he chose us even though he knows everything about us. Like he he knows us better than we even know ourselves, and he still chose us. He chose us. Right? And so God chooses his people, but not only did he choose us, but he calls us. That's the second word I want us to look at. He is that he has called you. See, in the Bible, the word called um, is always referring to a call towards salvation and sanctification. That's what it's always talking about. It's the primary meaning in scripture. And in fact, the Greek word here for called means to call by name, like to summon, to draw you in. It's the same root word that's used in 16 and 17 for encouragement. Like this is, this is an encouraging type of a thing that God calls us by name. So not only did he choose us, but he calls out to us. He summons us back to himself. Just, I want you to just understand and see the intimacy that's there. Like that he calls us out by name. He's not just sitting in heaven, just kind of kicked back, like wondering how this whole thing is gonna play out. He is intimately involved in our lives. He pursues his people. He draws them to himself and he calls out to them and he saves them. And so you might be thinking, how do I know if God is calling me? And I would say to you, if you can hear my voice right now, he's calling you. He's calling you. Is he calling? Yes, he's calling you. It's like when a phone rings. You pick it up, right? Because the phone's ringing. Somebody's calling you. So answer the call. Respond in faith. Trust him to save you. That's the primary usage of the word called in scripture, that he's calling you towards salvation. And once you've answered his call for salvation in your life, well, then you are sent with his message. 
A lot of times we, we think of the word called out of scripture and we think vocation, right? We think I'm called to do whatever. But that's not the primary use of the word in, in scripture. But we, we are called, Christians are called to his mission. When you answer his call for salvation, you are given the calling for his mission. What's uh, Matthew, Matthew 28, the great commission, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I'm telling you to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then don't forget that I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. That's the great commission given to every single believer. And I mean, even think of Paul's earlier teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter five that he tells us that ministry is done by the church. Listen, we are all Christians. We are all called to his mission. But let's, let's be clear about something. Again, we tend to think of calling in terms of what we do for a living. And so it's important for us to understand this morning that calling does not mean career. Your calling does not mean your career. Sometimes we'll hear even kind of a special type of a calling in, in, in church life that there's a special calling for next level Christians who become pastors or missionaries. They're like extra Christians or something. And you'll hear, you'll hear guys say things like, I am called to be a pastor or I am called to ministry. But again, that's not how the word called is ever used in the Bible. We don't see people called into a vocation in the Bible. And people will push back here and say, yeah, but the, that, that role's kind of special. That's, that's elevated. God calls. What, what about prophets? And what about the apostles and things? And here's, here's what I would, I would push back on that. Let's look, let's look at Paul. So Paul's job was a tent maker. He just happened to be like planting tons of churches and writing half the New Testament in his spare time, Right? I'm just kidding, the tent maker thing was spare time. He, he, he did that so that he could do ministry, but that was his vocation. And both of those examples of prophets and apostles, so take the prophet Jeremiah or take the apostle Paul, whenever God calls out to them to, to go into some kind of special ministry thing, well, both of those are pretty extraordinary situations and pretty extraordinary callings. And God is verbally calling both of them. I've never experienced that. <laughs> I've never experienced a verbal call into a job, right? So how are we supposed to know what we're called to do? I used to think growing up that there was, there was like this, this red X, like this proverbial red X that was somewhere out there in the world, right? And that was the thing that God is calling me to. And I have to figure that out. David Rainey has to figure out where that red X is for me. And it's different for every single person. And I have to find it. And I have to read through the tea leaves and I have to walk through the open doors or whatever that is. And I have to find that thing or else I'm going to miss God's calling for my life. I used to think that. I used to feel the pressure of that, you know? Like when people would ask you, what are you going to be when you grow up? Man, I don't know yet. I felt that pressure a lot, but listen, we are called, here, here's, what, here's what your calling is from Christ. You are called to love Jesus, you're called to live in community with others, and you're called to make disciples. That's your calling, that's it. 
love Jesus, live in community with others, and make disciples. So then maybe the question becomes, okay, well, well then how do I do that vocationally? But that's a different question, right? What you're called to is the same as all Christians. How that plays out in your job is something different. Does that make sense? Calling is not career. We are all called to love Jesus, live in community, and make disciples. So how do we do those things in our jobs? Or how do we define that direction for us? Ask yourself two questions. What are you good at and what are you passionate about? What are you good at and what are you passionate about? In the Bible, what you do to serve God is linked to those two things. Where you draw a paycheck really doesn't matter all that much. Are you loving Jesus? Are you living in community with others? And are you making disciples? So how do we leverage our career for our calling? Well, I'd say look at, look at those two things. Look at giftings and desires. God has given each of us talents and passions that we should leverage for his glory. Ephesians 4 says that he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. That passage is saying that some are gifted towards these different tasks, all for the purpose of building up the church. So what are you gifted at? And where are your desires? Even whenever it comes to pastoral ministry and pastoral calling, 1 Timothy chapter three says this, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. So again, it's, it's about gifting and it's about desires. So you know what? We know what God has called each of us to do. If you're trying to decide how to do it, look at what you're good at. Look at what you're passionate about and do a lot of that thing. Serve Christ and build the church through that thing. So are you a doctor? Well, serve Christ and build the church. Are you a teacher? Serve Christ and build the church. Are you a stay-at-home mom? Serve Christ and build the church. Are you a pastor? Serve Christ and build the church. That's our calling. We all have the calling as Christ followers. Now, just a quick word on, on vocational ministry as a job, ministry as a job. We do need pastors and God does direct our steps. I'm not saying that he doesn't. God directs our steps towards these different things. And so maybe you might be thinking like, maybe God is, is directing me towards that. So whenever people ask me, how did you become a pastor? Or how did you know God was calling you to be a pastor? I never had like, this is the way I describe it. I never had like this, Damascus Road type of an experience. You know, like whenever Paul was on the Damascus Road and he was going to persecute Christians and Jesus showed up in a bright light and blinded him and, and he said, Paul, I want you to follow me and he dropped everything and followed. I've never had that whenever it comes to how I ended up in pastoral ministry. My calling is a lot more like what happened with the disciples where Jesus just comes along and he says, hey, I want you to follow me. And you have no idea what your life is gonna look like over the next however many years uh, but follow me. And, and so I did that. Like it just, okay. And just, I found myself just doing more and more ministry and more and more opportunities came along. And so that's, I mean, that's how it happened for, for me. 
couple other things to look at is discerning a call to ministry is, is affirmations and qualifications. Like when affirmations, is, that's talking about that you serve your church and you see what other people say about it. Are they affirming your calling? One of the big moments for me is one of my best friends. I, I delivered a really, really bad sermon, my first one. Um, and she came up afterwards and said, I think you missed your calling. You know, she used that, that term the way that, the way that we use it. And, and for me, that was a moment of going, okay, well, I need to maybe explore that. Maybe God is directing me towards that, right? And so there'll be an affirmation of the church, but then there are very clear qualifications for pastors in scripture, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, Titus 1, all give clear qualifications for pastoral work. And then what I would say if you're wrestling through that, and I know I'm flying through this, I'll talk to you later if you're interested in talking about this, but then just pray about it, listen to what the Lord tells you and pursue Christ. And, and, and so if you're sensing that maybe God is calling you to be a pastor for your job, to be a minister for your job, that's what you do. But I want all of us Christians understand that we are all in ministry. If you are a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel. Let me say that again. If you are a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel. I, I want you to feel the weight of that statement and live your life accordingly. And that's really where Paul ends up in this passage. Because you are chosen, because you are called, well then let that reality affect your day. Let it affect your day. He says then, we're gonna fly through these. So then, stand firm. Stand firm. It, it reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Again, remember the context of the situation. They're discouraged, they're full of worry, they're being deceived. And Paul says, stand firm. Remember that you're chosen, remember that you're called, and stand firm. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then he tells them to hold to the traditions. So stand firm and then hold to the traditions. Verse 15 says, hold on to the things that you've been taught, the things that have been passed down to you, the truths that have stood the test of time. Make sure you hold on to those things. Trust them and live by them. And then because you were chosen and because you were called, finally, pray for faithfulness. Pray for faithfulness. Verse 16 and 17, that's what... What's, what's happening? Paul prays for them and then he turns around in chapter three and opens that chapter by saying, hey, pray for us that we'll stay faithful. But Paul prays for their faithfulness. He says, may, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. So because you are chosen and because you are called, well, then it should affect your day. Stand firm. Hold to the traditions. And then pray for faithfulness. Everybody I know has a story, usually from their childhood, of not getting picked. Right? Every one of us. Either not chosen for for the play, not chosen for the glee club, not chosen for the team, not chosen for the job not chosen as a spouse, not chosen 
carries the blunt message that I have no worth, I have no value, I'm useless, I'm good for nothing. Today I want us all to hear that God chooses you. He chooses you like he picks you. And he knows everything about you and he still picks you. He desperately loves you and he calls out your name. He's calling you. He's calling you towards salvation or he's calling you to live on mission for him, but he's calling you. And so what I would say again is the phone is ringing, so pick it up, answer the call, choose him back. And that's, that's how this passage is encouraging. They were facing a lot of hurt, a lot of worry, a lot of discomfort. And Paul reminds them of, of God choosing them, God calling them, God knows them. So when things are good and, and when things are tough, remember that the God of all creation loves you, he knows you, and he still specifically chooses you and calls your name. And knowing that, understanding that, will change your day. It will, it will affect what you do. It'll be the thing that causes you to stand firm when things are shaky. It will be the thing that encourages you and strengthens you and helps you remain faithful. Our response is just to answer the call and to daily choose Him back. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.